is the I Am Redemption podcast, and today I have a very, uh, very good friend of mine, Mr. Brandon Puffer. Uh, Brandon is a author, former major league pitcher. Yes. You got a lot of accolades in there. I'm trying to think of them uh, to, to read them all off, dude. But um, thank you so much for taking the time to come on today. Um, you and I, Brandon and I met uh, a couple months ago, um, kind of hit it off right off the bat. We were doing a, a speaking engagement kind of in Dallas. Um, met Brandon, realized that there's a lot of similarities by our stories. He's definitely uh, definitely fell to rock bottom and definitely has found his redemption. And today he uses that to to help people, which is also my main goal in life. And so it was only fitting that I could get you on the get you on the podcast as soon as possible, brother. So thank you for thank you for being here today, man. Absolutely, bro. I'm honored, man. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. Uh, do you want to tell everybody a little bit about yourself? You know, some of your story. Yeah, no, sure. I mean, I feel like how much time do we have, right? Yeah. <laughs> but um, just in general, like yeah. the cliff notes, um, just a, you know, as a young man, I think like a lot of people, I kind of aspired to be a professional athlete and kind of felt like, man, if I could achieve that dream of being a major league baseball player, then my life would be complete. Like that's what I'm here for. And I found out pretty early that I had a God-shaped hole inside of me that I was trying to fill with all kinds of things, um, including performance and being a good athlete and um, gosh, drugs, alcohol, promiscuity, just trying to what I thought a man was supposed to be. Right. And all those things would just chase me and follow me my whole life, man. So as I'm pursuing this dream to be a big leaguer, uh, I had the fortune of achieving that dream. The The parallel was just life was always kicking my butt and and addictions and all these things that I just couldn't manage on my own, man. So um, just in general, I think that's kind of the story. And that's what kind of led me to my book from the bullpen to the statement of just like, hey, you made it. But then this rock bottom because I never really got those for lack of a better term, those demons under control that were always, right. always just tugging at me, man. Right. So when you when you were growing up, did you play all sports or it was just all baseball right off the bat? No, all sports, man. I loved everything. So we did soccer, basketball, football. Once I got to high school, kind of narrowed it down to basketball, a little bit of football. I quit pretty early on, and then, um, but mostly basketball and baseball. Mostly basketball. Yeah, I loved basketball. I think we talked about it when we met. I was like, I grew really fast. Yeah. So I'm like 6'2 in middle school, throwing down, and I could shoot. I'm like, oh, I'll be in the NBA, man. This is awesome. Right. And then it kind of leveled out, and I was like, yeah, I'm okay at basketball, but baseball is probably my opportunity. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was the same way. Yeah. yeah. I, didn't, I didn't realize that I was white and couldn't jump, and I just thought, I was like, oh, dude, I'm play college basketball and stuff like that. And then you start getting around division one athletes and stuff and you're like oh shit this is this is humbling there's levels to this for sure for sure I actually had a little league coach approach me about it like he was my little league coach now I'm getting like to like ninth grade and I wanted to quit well I did I quit baseball to focus on basketball my freshman year and he was like look you're a pretty good basketball player okay but have you have you seen what's out there are you watching the athletes and that size and the height and the speed and the agility and but they can't a lot of those guys can't do what you do in baseball you know and you got mm-hmm. this gift of baseball so it kind of I like put it in the back of my mind at that time I'm like oh no I'm gonna do whatever I want to do but then I, I did remember and I always share that because I'm like man that conversation really affected me so when I have opportunities to kind of pour in and mentor young men I think about man that, that conversation at 12 years old resonated with me I didn't right. make the change till later but it was important that a coach poured into my life that way right so baseball became your your number one passion, I'm assuming. It did. When, when did you start to realize, you're like, oh shit, like I'm pretty fucking good at this? Man, honestly, early, like pretty early on. My dad coached a team so I could play because I was too young to play. And I kind of held my own a little bit and enjoyed it. And I always say right around 12 years old, I had that growth spurt and, and got a little bigger than ever. You know, you see those photos where there's that one yeah, kid. Yeah. I was that kid. And so um, that's when I really started to feel like, okay, Got some some talent here, but I didn't know how the process worked. So mm-hmm. I, I I knew in my mind 
that I was set on that and I was a pretty driven guy. So I'm like, I wrote my parents a note. I'm like, I'm going to be in the major league baseball. I don't need to do my homework. You know, I don't, I'm just focused on this and which I don't recommend, but it's like, I did have that mindset pretty early on that I was going to do whatever it took to get there. Right. Yeah. And so you pitcher all the way through in high school. I hit, you know, I played first base, could hit okay, which most guys did. And then once I got drafted, I was drafted as a pitcher. And it was kind of like, okay, put the bat away, and you're going to just focus on the pitching. So, yeah, once I got drafted, it was pitcher only. Drafted right out of high school? Yes. Is that how, in the major leagues, is that how most, that happens for most guys, or do most guys go on to collegiate ball? I wouldn't say most. It's a mix. Um, you know, it's just, it really is just a mix. For me, coming out of high school, school was a struggle for me. Um, I just knew if I got that opportunity, I was going to take it. I was going to go for it. Um, I had a good buddy that got drafted the same year at high school that I did, and he chose to go to college route. Mm-hmm. And we, all, we just kind of met up. So it's like people ask me, like, what do you think is best? I was like, I don't know. He got the college experience. He got, you know, education, which is awesome. But yeah. we, like, met up right at kind of the same level in pro ball as I'm fighting through these lower levels. Right. Um, so it's kind of a mixed bag. All right. Yeah. So where draft day? Are you sitting at home with family? So it's so different back then, man. There's no social media. It's not on television. There was like 50-something rounds, whereas now it's like, I don't know, I want to say 2025, and it's right. televised and all that. So it's just so different. Now, I was at school, man. I was I was in, in high school, and in California on the West Coast, you just go a little longer. So I was still in school during the June draft, and I literally found out when they announced it over the intercom at school. They said, no hey, sure. yeah, congratulations to your teammate, or excuse me, your classmate, you know, Brandon Puffer, drafted by the Minnesota Twins, yada, yada. I was like, oh, cool. So I just had no idea. Come on. You had to be a little bit more than, oh, cool. Well, I was excited, man, for sure. Um, but I always talk about this. It's like that peace, that joy, that that feeling that we're all searching for. I thought that would be it. I'm like, okay, this is exciting, but uh, that's not it. But okay, once I get there, uh-huh. we'll get to the big leagues. It's always that next pursuit, right? right. It's like, oh, that was cool, but now what? Yeah. And so, yeah, I was awesome. I mean, my family were great. We had pictures. You know, the scout came over. We did the signing at the home. and. Definitely an awesome moment for my family. But then it was like pretty quickly, it was like, okay, that didn't give me what I thought it was going to give me. Right. You know? It, now, is that going back to kind of that God-sized hole in your heart? A hundred percent. Especially looking back, like yeah. reflecting back. hundred percent. That's that's what it was. It was like, okay, baseball's going to do it for me, man. Mm-hmm. But then, oh, it's cool, exciting, but not that like that peace and joy. Because then it's like, okay, I'm happy. But then if I don't do well, I'm not happy. If my performance isn't good, I'm not happy. If I'm getting fired or we call it released in baseball, which I did four times, but now what? Right. So right. It's, it just never gave me that true peace that I found later on. Right. Yeah. How long, how long did you spend in the minors before you? Man, I, kind of a long time. I think it was about eight years. Oh really? Yeah. And I got released three times. I went to independent ball before I ever made it to the majors. So that was a cool story and perseverance and just kind of having that mindset of like, no matter what, until I rip this uniform off me and all 30 teams say you're not good enough, mm-hmm. I'm just going to keep trying to pursue it. Right. Yeah. So would you say international ball? Independently. Independently. I did do international winter ball quite a few times in Venezuela, Puerto Rico, which was awesome. Great experience. Be- Dude, the best experiences. But independent ball is something that it's kind of like you're not with an affiliated club, you get let go, and it's kind of like there's one more opportunity if you just want to stick around and hope. Right. But you're probably not going to make it after that for the mm-hmm. most part, if you don't have any prior experience. Right. Um, so, but I, I just was like, yeah, whatever I got to do. And I went and did that and fortunately got picked back up and back into the, the, the professional scene. Right. Yeah. So eight years in the minors. Yeah. What is, so w- as far as your, what was your thing? Alcohol, drugs? Mostly alcohol and, and, and promiscuity. Like mm-hmm. when I went out, I was either going to try to hook up or get in a fight with somebody. Just weird. Like just 
not normal, but as soon as I started going, yeah. I had no off switch. And it was like, this night's not over until something crazy happens. Right. Not by choice, but it just always ended up that That's way. That's how it happened. Yeah. And I knew that early on, man. The, the, the warning signs were there. Uh, but yeah, it was, you know, I'm drafted. I'm 18. I graduate high school literally the next day. I'm in Florida from California mm-hmm. with a group of kids in the same boat. They've just been drafted. They think they're pretty cool. They think there's something special because they're pro ball players and we're by ourselves. Mm-hmm. We're not accountable to anybody other than the team. But it's like, man, we get out at two o'clock and have the whole night. Mm-hmm. And it's like, now what do we do? And, and I'm not good with idle time, right? Yeah, it's, for sure. it's not good for me, man. And so I struggled very, very bad off the field. You know, it was pretty, all my habits just followed me there. Right. So you had already had these, oh, yeah. these type of habits? Early on. Yeah. Middle school, high school, it got pretty 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 nutty like always that guy yeah a little too far yeah gotcha yeah what um what is a minor league like i'm not asking what you made i'm just saying oh. in general how much do how much do guys in the minors make like are they getting oh, paid well or no nothing nothing literally nothing i'm like it's gotten better <laughs> they've, they've done some things to try to improve it but I'll, I'll tell you straight up when i got drafted we were making 850 a month okay 850 a month i had they take out i think it was 200 for your hotel they take out for your meals I had a son at the time, so I had, indep- I had a dependent, excuse me. So they're taken out for that. One time I got fined for being a knucklehead. That's my fault. I'll take that. I- I'll take the fine. I was a knucklehead. Mm-hmm. I got a check, two weeks, $50. Are you serious? Yeah, I went to them. I go, well, guys, wh- how do I live off this? And they're like, we don't, we just do the bottom line. Like, we just deduct and sorry, you know? And again, I'll take the fine. That was my fault. Right. I-, I screwed up. But it's like can normal ask, day. About can I ask you what you did to get fined? Shocker, I had girls in alcohol in my room when you weren't supposed to. And they came and did a bed check, and the girls were hiding in the shower, and they found the alcohol, and they're like, not in the shower clothes. Yeah. And they're like, all right, you guys get out of here, and you're fined, and here we go. So I wasn't getting my fault. I need a little. You can't be the only one, though, right? No, no, no. no. It was, that was so. It's got to be a common occurrence. Yeah. That was, that was pretty normal. Pretty normal. But at that time, they, they did like a random bed check and knocked on the door, and it was like, oh, hey. Right. And they're like, they're not dumb. Like, what's going on in here, right? Yeah. So. So so you were aware that you, were you were like, did you know you're like, oh, sh- I have a real problem? Or you're at, are you kind of under the delusion that you just need to keep doing what you're doing and that that's not something you really have to take care of as far as your, I, as far I as knew. alcoholism? And- I knew. And because I watched my dad go through it mostly. Okay. And he would tell me and he would advise me and he would, hey, dude, like you're going down that same path I went down and it doesn't have to be this way. And. And everything in me was like, and I would verbalize this. I'd be like, man, you got to have fun until you're in your 30s. I'm just having fun. You know, like I, I'm out here playing ball, having fun. And and, and he's like, yeah, I get it. And, and it is fun, right? Like, to be honest, like, that's a fun, but the not worth it for me. I mean, everyone doesn't have the same issue I had. I mean, I have a brother was raised in the same household and he can socially drink. He's successful. He can have a good time, even catch a little buzz and be good. He knows when to shut it down. I just... My dad's gene, I guess, whatever it is, passed to me. I, I there's zero once I start, yep. and I know this now. I used to give myself permission, like, oh, well, if you just drink this, or mm. you don't drink that hard liquor, or if you don't drive, if you do it this way, I would give myself these justifications or permission, and it just always went south. Yeah. So it's like, no, for you, you can't do it. Like, period. So for 15 years now, I hadn't had a sip. Right. Because I, I can't. Right. Yeah. Fifty dollars a week, bro. Sometimes two weeks. Oh my. Good. Two week paycheck. I got it. And I'm like, what am I going to do? Are they providing you your meals and everything? Yeah. Part of that deduction was your meal at the hotel, which was the same thing every single day. So if you want to go out and catch a little meal on your own, and now some guys had big signing bonuses, 
I didn't. Mm-hmm. Some guys had families that would, hey, here's, you know, my family didn't, they didn't have that. So it was just like, figure it out, man. And that's not a woe is me thing. That's just like reality was like, oh man, I got to work hard and get out of here. Yeah. You know? Build you, build you some character. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. So eight years in the minors and then yeah. you just, did you go on a, you're on just kind of a streak, a hot streak, and then you get called up? Yeah, man. So um, around 1998, I was drafted in 94. About four years in, I'm just a complete mess, right? Um, doing okay on the field, but just really not taking care of my business off the field at all. And I uh, had a life change, man, in 98. I, I came home, went to the church where my mom worked, um, got, got saved, gave my life to Christ, was like, okay, I'm not going to drink anymore. I'm going to do what Christians are supposed to do. I'm not going to chase girls. I'm not going to, and it was just so white knuckled because I wasn't like surrendered or joyful or like, oh, this is awesome. I was just like, okay, now I'm not doing these things. Right. And the benefit to that was I was taking care of my body better. So I was working, I believe I had a good work ethic. So I was doing that and I was consistent and my career started really ticking up. How you're actually sleeping. I'm actually sleeping. I'm, I'm feeling good. I'm on the field. You know, confidence is such a big deal when you're competing. And when you're out there knowing you stayed up all night and you're hungover and you're facing guys, you don't, you can't, I mean, you can trick your mind, but you're not truly confident. Now I'm like, I'm more prepared than you. I'm taking care of myself. You have no chance. You type deal. So that really, that really took off for me, man. And in 2002, so, you know, several years into that, but a few years after that, I got my chance. I got called up by the Houston Astros. Uh, I was playing AAA in New Orleans and Man, I got that call. And it was the same thing like, like here and you got drafted. It was like, this is awesome, man. All my teammates congratulate me. I make my phone calls, do my deal, and I'm laying there that night. And I'm excited as I'll get out. But again, it was like, okay, this is what you've always dreamed of, man. Like, this is it, right? Your life's complete. Right. And happy. I don't want to take away from that. But it's, oh, well, maybe once you get there. It's mm. just always that next pursuit, man. Right. And once you have success, once you get a contract. And so anyway, that was pretty fleeting, right? It was that feeling. And then I was like, okay, now it's time to go to work. So. I went and joined the big league club and kind of started that journey. Right. Yeah. Is it, so aside from that issue you're having, the God-sized hole, I mean, so walking into the the Houston Astros locker room for the first time, I mean, do you, in my mind, I'd go back to being like a kid, like, holy oh, yeah. shit, look where I'm at right now. 100%. And I'm, I'm a huge fan. Like, I'm not just some guy. That's like back when Jeff Bagwell was playing. Yeah. Everybody. Bagwell, Biggio, Berkman. Yeah. Wagner, I mean, yeah, dude, I literally, so we we're on the road. I met the team in Cincinnati. We we're on the road and I literally walked, I was there before everybody else. And just what you just said, the jerseys were hanging in the lockers. I was like, dude, look at these guys. Man. And they weren't there yet. Right. And then there's mine. I'm like, I have a locker here. I have a jersey here, man. I'm like a kid in a candy store. Like, right. you got to fake it. Like, oh, yeah, that's where I belong. This is what I'm supposed to do. But no, I'm and like, you're freaking out. Oh, I'm freaking out, dude. Yeah. I'm just like, get a hold of yourself. Like, because especially when it came time to actually work, to actually like pitch. Right. Now I'm like, you got Hold yourself, man. I started early on. I faced a couple guys like Barry Bonds that I was like starstruck by. Was really? Like, and I gotta go. No, no, no. Wait, forget that, man. Get this guy out. You know, it's that deal. Let's see. What is this? Two thousand two. Yeah, that, that was this, my debut. Yeah. Is this which Barry Bonds are we getting? The Barry. Bonds. Oh, we're getting the, the guy, Bonds? like in the thick of it. Big Barry Bonds. Big Barry Bonds. <laughs> we're getting uh, uh, creatine Barry Bonds. Right, there you go. <laughs> no, it was when he was in the, in the thick of it, man. Yeah, it was, he was. So the whole league was at that time, right? Oh yeah, in terms of juicing, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, I never did. I, right. you know, I'm an honest dude. Like I've made a lot of mistakes. I would say, hey man, I cheat. But everyone, I was not everyone. A lot of the guys you were facing, it was pretty obvious. And uh, you know what? It didn't bother me that much because it was just like at that time it was so accepted. Mm-hmm. Honestly, like it was just like yeah, everyone knows it. Like no one's hiding that. No one. 
I didn't think of it as the way it is thought of now. And, right. and looking back, I'm like, oh man, that's got that was a kind of unfair playing field. Like, right. I've got a video of Sammy Sosa hitting a ball off me in the thick of that, and I'm like, hey, put an asterisk on that. Man. I don't want that back. Like, I want to face like bleach skin Sammy now. Right. I'm not on it. Right. So it was, uh, yeah, you're definitely in the thick of that thing, and and you knew it. I played in Puerto Rico, and every roommate I had was just it was wide open. It was like, what are you all doing, man? And I, more than anything, was just scared. I didn't understand it. Right. I was like, I don't understand that. I don't. And again, with my issues, I'm like, so what? I I, I do this, see some, um, you know, some some positive results out of it. I know me. I'm yeah. just going to the next level. Like, what's the next all level? The way, right. Yeah. So I never. I was too scared. Right. I never did it. Yeah. So what's the? So you're walking in as a, a new a new pitcher that's been in the farm leagues. Like, what what's it like in a in a major league locker room? Like, how are they with you? Or, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, man, most of them are pretty cool. They're excited to see you. And then I think the fact that you had a little journey behind you and they kind of, I, I don't know if they all know the story, but they kind of know you, you've paid your dues a little bit in the minor leagues. I think there's a respect factor there. Um, it's so you're not coming in as like a, you're, they don't look at you as like a kid coming in. Right. That, I think that's the difference, right? You got that kid that signed for a big signing bonus. He's 21, walks in there. I think there's a little bit of like, oh, this guy, you know, uh, me, it's more like, yeah, journeyman, kind of a cool story. Uh um, that for that independent league I mentioned, I was the first guy to go there and then get out of there and make it to the big leagues with no prior experience. Oh, shit. Okay. That's cool. Uh, but at the same time you have to carry yourself in a way that, and I don't know that it's this way as much anymore. Um, but I guess I was a little old school, like be seen and not heard, be respectful. Like just, I think I didn't want, you know, if you walk in you're like, Oh, what's up guys. And you start doing yeah. that. I think it's different. Um, mm-hmm. which is another thing I look back on and I go, man, I don't know if I handled myself great. I, I was respectful, quiet did what I thought rookies were supposed to do, but I didn't allow myself to be myself either. Like mm-hmm. not, you know, befriend guys and, and be humor and just do these things that I like to do. Like, I think it, it more mature me would have like kind of fit in a little better, made more of an attempt yeah. rather than just, okay, I'm a rookie. I'm going to stay in my place, you know? What, uh, so how long you had bounced around to a couple of, once you got caught up, you had bounced around, right? Once I got called up, it was with Houston 02, Houston 03, and then, yeah, bounced around again. Padres, Red Sox, Giants. I think overall, like, 12 organizations. But uh, the only ones I got time in the big leagues with were Houston, San Diego, San Francisco, and Boston. What's that like, getting shuffled around like that? Like, you can't really set up roots anywhere, right? Absolutely not, yeah. So my family, you know, they'd set roots in Austin, and then I'm just kind of all over the place. And it's, it's, it's crazy because it's how how fast it happens, right? And it was a good thing when you're in New Orleans, they're like, you're going to Cincinnati, your flight leaves at eight in the morning, it's 11 p.m., you're, you're just pumped, man. You're mm-hmm. just, how fast can I get there? But when it goes the other way, like, hey, we're letting you go, or you're getting sent back down, or but whatever the transaction is, it's immediate. It's like, it, you just finished the game, it's 11 p.m., and your flight leaves at six. Right. You've got an apartment here, you've got your stuff here, and you're just like, yeah, that part of it's wild. Like, when I think back on it, it's just what you, I mean, you just, do it like it's like whatever this is how right. it works thinking back on it like man and i'm i'm like a guy i need like stability i need routine yeah, me too okay I'm, I'm a little little you know off and so thinking back that i used to have to just be like all right back up let's go we're gone yeah it's crazy dude I, it's funny that you're you're on today just it was either this morning or yesterday morning i saw a clip and and i had totally forgot this but it was when uh randy johnson was playing for the diamondbacks and got traded mid-game to who they were playing which was the giants moving that over and then and then everybody everybody like came out to the mound and he put on he's still in his Diamondbacks uniform but put on a, a San Francisco hat. Dude, you know what that was? What? So that was actually that was different. That was a bench clearing brawl. Okay. 
and he picked up the wrong hat and put on a Giants. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't think he got traded mid game in that one. I could be wrong, but I, whatever, I saw that. Whatever today. I read said that he had gotten traded mid the the time Randy Johnson got traded mid game or something. I think they were being sarcastic. Oh, because okay, he they get in this brawl and everybody's all kind of getting their stuff together and he like grabs the wrong hat and puts a Giants hat on. Right. Um, but I, I I mean maybe he no, did. You, that happens, dude. Yeah. That absolutely happens. I've done that. No shit. Yeah, in AAA, I was released from the Round Rock Express right here where I live. Picked up at the Oakland Athletics. They said, hey, Sacramento, the AAA team's going to be there in two days. I just switched locker rooms. Literally went across the hall. Yeah, went across the hall. And now I'm like, all right, here we go. And the guys are like, I mean, it's cool. It was yeah. fun. But it, was, it happens. That definitely happens. So what's the banter like with the team you just left and then now you're going out on the field? Are you guys talking shit? Oh, yeah. It's all fun stuff. Right. Yeah. When you play long enough, you're, there's always guys on the other team you respect and like and former teammates. And, you know, when you get in between the lines, obviously, it's like, dude, you're not my friend. Like, I'm trying to. Yeah, you out, you know, period. But like before that, yeah, it's all good stuff. Yeah, yeah. For whatever reason, especially like with football. Yeah, you know what I mean. I watch an NFL game, and you see them, you know, basically trying to kill each other with inside the rules during the game, and yeah. then they're all they're all homeboys afterwards, totally. changing jerseys and stuff like yeah. that. And it's, I love now the 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 day and times we're in where there's shows now where you can see like behind the scenes stuff and hear more from players are more accessible and shit like that. I've always just been fascinated. Me too, man. I love documentaries. I love the backstories. I love how they grew up. I love the friendships within. I'm I'm the same way. I love watching all that. Right. Yeah. What did, uh, I don't want to keep talking about the steroid thing, but like, what was the, were you still in the league when Consego came out with his book? Juiced? Yeah. Uh, was I still in the league? I read it. I just don't remember. He was still in the league back then, right? Who was? Conseco is he still in the league? Yeah, he was around when I when I played. I just don't remember exactly the timeline on when his book came out. And all right. that I remember reading it, but I I, I read it post career. I remember reading it after the fact. I read it in prison. I did too. <laughs> I should have said that. I did too. Did yeah, that's where I read, that's why I was like, I know I wasn't playing at the time because I remember where I read it. Right. Uh, but yes, that's exactly where I read it too. And I was just like, this goof, man. Like I don't. know. I mean, it is what it is. Yeah. But you're just like, come oh, man. Like, right. You don't have to throw everybody under the bus. Right. Like do your thing, own your stuff, but. You know, there's that brotherhood, there's that baseball thing yeah. that is in every sport and every, like, you didn't have to do that and be a tell-all like that. Right. That was just my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. So, you're in the major leagues. When does, like, when does, when does your alcoholism, infidelity, like, when does that start getting a hold of you? So, to the point where, okay. So, from 1998 to 2003, not a sip of alcohol, five-year sobriety. Okay, back when you had which re- led to, rediscovered God. Exactly. Which right. led to... Um, you know, not infidelity, not chasing, not just going home, doing the right thing, you know, going back to the hotel. It, it was hard. I mean, it was never easy for me. Mm. Uh, it still isn't. Honestly, I'm 15 years sober now. And it's like every day, in my opinion, is about. Mm-hmm. I mean, every day at the end of the day, it feels like you went 12 rounds of Tyson in your head. Mm-hmm. It's the only way I can explain it to people. Yeah. I feel like you can relate. Mm-hmm, and, sure. and it's like, but I was sober. I was taking care of it. I wasn't doing. So 2004. I was in spring training with uh, San Diego Padres in Peoria, Arizona. Um, I had a very like, toxic first marriage, man. It was just toxic. We got together for the wrong reasons, tried to stick it out for the wrong reasons, and it just it just boiled over in 2004, and we decided to separate. And so now here I am, man. I'm, I'm, I'm in pro ball. I always in the back of my mind had this like, kind of wish I didn't stop drinking before I got this opportunity. Right. Like, cause that was kind of the dream. Like growing up, like, oh, now you're in the big leagues, you have all this stuff. And, and, um, so I was like, you know what? Sitting there in spring training, five years sober, not accountable to anybody at home. And that, that, that voice started playing on me, man. That, 
you know what? You can do this. Like you were five years younger. You're more mature now. You got this. Yeah. You got this. So what I did was, I'll never forget it. There were some people in the jacuzzi at the hotel having a few beers. I was like, man, that just looks good right now. I'm stressed out. Went to the gas station, grabbed a six pack of egg, drank in the jacuzzi. Nothing happened. That was the worst thing that could happen. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, you do got this. Yeah, you're, you're all right. Next day, I'm like, all the guys always invite me down to the sports bar. I'm going to hang out with the guys tonight. Back in the game, you know? Yeah. Oh, man, that slippery slope happened quickly after that. I was shocked at how fast I went back to just all out. That night? Every night. Uh, that night, but every night leading yeah. forward. So from 04, spring training with the Padres, through the rest of my career, that, that was the battle again. That was the battle again. So um, and in, in 04 to 06, I didn't care. I didn't want to stop. I was upset. I was angry. I was mad about you know my separation, my relationship. Um, the only way I knew when I was hurting is I just would hurt other people. Like I would just go out like, okay, well, I'll just go out and party and I'll just go out and a couple of people. I'll just do this stuff thinking I'm hurting you when I'm really just hurting myself and everybody else around me. Um, but yeah, no, I was all out, man, for that period of time. And, my, and how I showed you my tra- trajectory when I got sober, yeah. same thing. From 04 on, here we go. Little big league time, back to AAA, just all the way to where next to nothing. I finished up as a player coach in AA. Um, by that time, this is 07, 08, we had reconciled, tried to make it work. So I'm trying really hard to be a family guy again and just mm-hmm. going, okay, I get back in the groove. But I had let so much back in. I wasn't ready to just let me go. You yeah, know, it was just a battle, right? Full out battle. And were you doing, you know, looking back, were you doing that, trying to get back in with the family and stuff like that? Were you just trying to get your life back to like homeostasis so you could continue playing ball? I think not only to continue playing ball, but to get a sense of like, control's not the right word, but I had kiddos, man, and yeah. and I'm out here just not being the dad I want to be and not so I kind of felt like I gotta get that unit back together which actually was the worst thing for me like for my whole family like there was there was a lot going on there that was not healthy um on both sides yeah and um you know I certainly was to blame for a lot of it but you know I just there were some things that were going on that were not healthy especially for my son and um I needed to rescue him and get him out of there but mm-hmm. what I did was to your point like okay yeah I just gotta and the first time we did it I had a lot of wisdom people wise people give me advice of like you're not, this isn't right. You're not ready on both sides. Yeah. And I just did it again. I was like, no, nah, we're going to make it work this time. And my family would tell you now they're like, oh, you're doing what? You're going back to what? Right. And so, yeah, I tried it, man. And it just, it was the same. Dude, I think people would need to, to think we're talking about an individual that at a very young age said, I'm going to be a major league baseball player and then becomes a major league baseball player. So in your mind, you got to be like, I can do anything. I'm going to make this work. I'm going to make this work. Right. Right. And then, you know, the world the world and God have a way of humbling you and making oh. you realize you're not that yeah. not as good as you thought. I always tell people, hey, there's two types of people, man. Humble. Yeah. And those are about to be humbled. Right. And I needed to be humbled. Still, I mean, you know, it's a lifetime thing. But you're right. The mindset is, and I know you have this mindset because I've watched your stuff, is I'm invincible. Right. Ten feet tall, I'm invincible. You can't beat me. And that is a mindset you need on the field right. between those lines. Then when you step off outside of those lines... I had a hard time turning that off. Yeah. You know, yeah. And I think that's where a lot of athletes, not just athletes, but achievers get in a lot of trouble. It's like that mindset leads to there's no consequences for me. It won't happen to me, you know, type type mindset. And it's just not, it's just not the case. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. What? So you finally get cut, fired? No, no. So my career ended the day I got arrested. Okay, so you're still in the... You're still the, playing. Actually, the coolest thing, man, probably one of the coolest parts of my career over all the 
make it to the big leagues and all that is um, in, oh, in 2007, the Texas Rangers offered me a role to be close to home, close to my family. They knew I was going through some stuff. And they said, hey, you know, we've got a role for you. Ever seen Bull Durham baseball movie? With uh, Kevin Costner? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, the, the character in there is Crash Davis. Okay. And he basically gets a little little bit of big league time, and he goes back as like a player coach to the young guys. Right. And they're all just like, what's it like? And, you know, so I was that guy. I, I, they're like, man, we want you to go back and be a mentor to these young prospects. And, um, you know, because my life was messy, but I still like, you know, I tried to lead, you know, be a leader and, and mentor kid, you know, guys like that. So they saw that quality, and they said, hey, I think it would be a good role for you. I loved it. I went and did it in 2007, 30 something years old in double A. They're all 19, 20. Um, but it was awesome, man. I'm like, just being a part of them. They invited me back in 08 to do the same thing. And it was basically like the writing's on the wall. Your, your career as a big leaguer is probably over, but you can still pitch and you can still mentor and then we'll work you into a coach. So in my mind, I'm like, this is great. I'm going to be a lifetime baseball guy. I'll go coach and work my way back to the big leagues as a bullpen coach. And this is just kind of like setting up the stage. And then fast forward to the, towards the end of that season, um, I had fought all year these young bucks wanting me to go out and have fun with them. They're just like, you know, they're young. They're where I was at that time. Right. Puff, we, we heard you were fun, man. Let's go out. Let's and you're the fun. and you're supposed to be the mentor. I'm the mentor. I'm the chapel leader of the team. Oh, all Jesus. these things, man. And I'm, and here's the deal, though. As I'm telling them no, and as I'm saying, I don't do that, and I'm not going out, and that's not good for me, I'm doing it on the side. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm living a double life. I'm, I'm faking the funk. Like they're like, oh, you got your life together, you're a family guy. And I'm like, if you guys only knew, like I'm just saying no, I'm not going with you, but I'm going out here by myself and and then just living this dark double life. Right. You know, so so it was it was certainly uh but anyway, long story short, man, towards the end, I love these kids, man. We bonded, it was awesome. We clinched a championship. I'm driving in on a Friday to the ballpark, and um something in me was just like, Man, just go out with them. What's one night, man? Just go out with these guys. They've been great. We'll go have fun one night. And Sean, I don't know why, man, but something in me was just like, don't do it. Like, mm-hmm. And basically the small still way for me, I think it was like Holy Spirit just going, don't do it. Bad idea. Right. And then the follow-up to that was, in fact, go get help, man. Like, go tell the, go get with the coaches and be like, look, I'm struggling. I'm not, I'm not doing what you think I'm doing. I'm, I don't have it together, man. I'm really struggling. And I, and, and my, my, uh, I guess character defect was, that's selfish. You're the leader of this team. You're the ch- we're in a championship series. Like you're not gonna put this on a little spotlight. Like suck it up, man. You, right. you got one more week. I'll just suck it up. So I, okay, sure enough, man. I went out with the guys that night. I had this is my 15th season in pro ball. I am a routine guy. We'd done this so many times. And I was like, yeah, all right. What's one night? And I woke up the next day in jail. Oh, man. No. So up. when you went out with them as their mentor, you end up getting locked up. I'm locked up. And you know what, man? I think they even knew. Like halfway through that night, a couple of guys were like, whoa, pop. Like, dude, you're a whole other guy, right? Like, I think they got it. Like, okay, that's not really healthy. Like, that's not just having fun. That's, you're another level. And I pitched on Adderall. So I was no, like my motor was just going full speed and drinking and on Adderall. And the whole deal was like, man, it was all set up for me. And so actually what happened was uh, a coach and a clubhouse manager saw me out. Hey, man, you good? And I'm like, yeah, I'm trying to float the guys, you know? And they're like, we're not driving, right? I said, I shouldn't. And they said, well, come back, come with us. Like, let's let's go back. Come to our apartment. We'll take care of you type deal. Mm-hmm. And um, I just I wouldn't turn off, man. I just kept calling. Oh, no, I got a party. I got to keep calling. I got to go find something to do, you know? And so uh, do you want to go in detail what actually happened? If, I mean, if, if you're comfortable. I am. I am. So we're in an apartment. I had stayed there with my family the season before. 
okay? And there was a young lady who had babysat their, her little daughter. I mean, just just cool people, man, single mom. And she always had parties, always had people over. And, like, and this is, by the way, a lot of introspection, a lot of like looking back on, I like, think, you know? Right. Um, I kept telling the guys, I'm like, hey, I got a friend that lives in here, I have a friend from last year, I'm gonna go see if she's having a party. And they're like, it's 2.30 and whatever it was, no one's having a party, go to bed. Right. And eventually, you know, when you give them enough, it's like, I'm a growing man, you can't tell me what to do. They're like, all right, man, do your thing. Yeah. And I walked over there, man. I don't even know how I found it. And I walked over there and I knocked on the door to and and no answer. Hey, three in the morning. Door handles unlocked. Walked right in, man. Walked right in. I had an attorney when I went through all this stuff going, why wasn't the door locked? I'm like, that's nobody's fault. Why'd I walk in, right? But like in in retrospect, that minor detail, doors locked, you just walk away. Right. Walk right in, man. Try to get in bed with her. Like, oh, shit. Yeah. So it was just like, what were you thinking? All the times of, of So she just sees this big motherfucker coming. Oh yeah. Three in the morning, dude. Like so she screams. Yeah. Which is the most horrific part of this whole thing was what I caused for her. I mean, to this day when I tell the story, it's like I can deal with all the stuff I did. I mean, my decision's embarrassing. It's brutal. It's it's but I'm trying to use it for good. But the fact that, you know, I interrupted her safety like that right. really still shakes me, man, to be honest with you. But yeah. when that happened, I, I came, kind of came to, it was like, what are you doing? But something in my mind, Sean, I'm going to go back to like the way I was living, the 10 foot tall, bulletproof, the promiscuous, all that stuff. Something in my mind was like, oh yeah, sure. She's got to want to like, can it hook up with me? Like, yeah. Like, I'm going to walk in here. What? And like looking back, it's like, how could you get to a point where right, like she's just okay. gonna see you dead oh, cool. asleep yeah, at three a.m. Yeah, like, come on, get in. Right. Damn. That was the thought. And so, so what happened was my charge was burglary of habitation with intent to commit sexual assault, and that sucks, man. Because burglary of habitation, you walk in uninvited. Sorry, man, that is what it is. Like in my mind, before I didn't have any, I hadn't been in trouble. I think like you're beating down a door and you're breaking in. No, you walked in, you're not invited in there. Burglary of habitation. And then the intent part was what really shook me up, man. Because I was like, my intent was not good. No man should be in that place at that time. But assault, like, ugh. I didn't plan on, like, assault. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I just had a hard time with that word. But at the end of the day, I put myself in that position, and that's what it was. And and unless you could show why you were there and all that stuff, then those are the charges, and they're going to stick. And so that was rough, man. Those are She really... wanted to pursue the charges? So at first, No. But the DA did. No, I shouldn't say no. I shouldn't say no. Yes, I, I think so. And in fact, I was like, wait, I know this person. Like, this isn't, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. But like, this is the next day. Because when I got picked up, I said to the guy, I go, what happened? Like, what? he goes, you called me last night and I thought you were kidding. Of course, I came to check and I had the paperwork and I saw the, and I was like, can you go over there? And like, I need to talk. Like, that's what I'm thinking. Like, I just need to make this right. Like, yeah. I'm not a bad person. Like, I didn't mean to hurt anybody. Like, let's just go, we'll talk. Dude, I, I don't share this a whole lot, man. Um, I remember her daughter's name because it was my daughter's name, Morgan. And when we would babysit them the summer before, like she would, she didn't have interaction with her dad, I guess. And I would be like playing with my girls and all that. And she'd be like, she literally told me one time, dude, she's like, Minister Puffer, I wish I had a daddy like you. Oh. And I'm just like, oh. And then a year later, I walk in and like destroy their safe. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm like, dude, that's not me. Right. So like everything in me was like, I'll go make this right. Like, Let's go over there. I got to apologize. And he's like, I don't think that's a good idea. And I'm like, okay. I just didn't realize the, how serious it was. And I know that sounds crazy because it's so serious. No, yeah. But it's like, oh, no, this was a misunderstanding. This was, and it was like, no. So go back. Next day we have a game. I don't tell a soul. I pitch. I pitch in the game. I do my thing. I'm like, okay, I'm going to be home in a couple of days. I'm just going to, it's going to 
put this under the rug type deal. And um, that's what I do or intend to do. And I get home and about a week later, I get a call from our media relations guy for the team. He's like, hey, Puck, how's the off season? He's like, hey, man, did you get a little trouble down here towards the end? You know, I said, oh, yeah. Why, how'd you know that? You know, because, well, I got a call from a, a media source asking about it. And if they called me, they're going to run a story. So here we go, man. Like, what's done in the dark is, is seen in the light, mm-hmm. right? This stuff's going to catch up with you. And here it is. And so I text my family and said, hey, I'm sorry. I love you guys. I made a really poor choice. And it sounds like it's going to be publicized. And it was. And so, Nine months, I was out on bail, kind of waiting on my fate. Um, for that nine months, I was back to, I'll be a good boy. I'm not drinking. I'm not going out. Please don't let me go to prison, God, please. Mm-hmm. And I ended up going to a jury trial nine months later. And uh, what a surreal feeling, man. Three days of just being in there. I mean, I'll never forget, like, the state of Texas versus Brandon Puffer. I'm like, mm-hmm. And um, my dad was with me. Uh, my ex-wife actually came to support me, which was nice. And um, went through that trial, man. I had character witnesses. I'd never been in trouble. Um, Nolan Ryan came and spoke on my behalf. Get the fuck out. Yeah, I listened to a DA grill Nolan Ryan. My attorney told me, because they all know each other. He's like, dude, she said she was so nervous because she's such a big fan of his. And I was like, this is crazy. This guy, all he did, and he's got to come in here on my behalf for this stupid decision I made, right? Right. But he did, and I was so grateful. And, uh, man, so one thing I'll say, Sean, is I didn't look at anything. Like, I didn't pull it up because I was just so scared scared i didn't yeah. google it and one day i did i was like nah, i just gotta see like what's going on and i googled it. it's almost like if i don't think about it it's gonna go away mm-hmm. and it's not the and my attorney kept telling me he's like this is not going away you gotta know how serious this is right because he'd be like i need we need a meeting i'm like oh i got work and he's like nothing you're doing right now is more important than right. this no i just didn't click to me i'm like oh yeah it'll be fine so i pulled it up and the headline was former houston astros pitcher faces five to 99 years in prison and i go that's the first time I was like, what? What? Like one bad night? One bad what? Right. And so I, I was like, damn, this is, you got to take this a lot more serious. Mm-hmm. It's serious. And I went to that jury trial and I ended up getting five years in prison. That was my sentence. Um, I would learn later. Um, this is kind of ironic because you always wonder like what's going on. Like how do they view you? What is what are these 12 peers thinking? Like what do they think? You know, and um, I had one of the jurors write me when I was in county jail. I went. From that sentencing straight to county jail to wait on my time to go to prison. Right. And um, she wrote me and she she was like, told me the whole scoop, man. She's like, I apologize. I don't think you should be in prison. It made me feel good. At least she right. thought that. But she's like, there was a couple people in there that were really wanting to put it to you, like 25 years type stuff. I'm like, what? Right. And she goes, and I was adamant, no jail time. I just didn't think he belonged there. But at the end of the day, they were going to hang the jury unless we gave you something. So I said, all right, I'll agree to the minimum. It's like, wow, I can't thank you enough for writing me and telling me all this. It's right. amazing to get that insight. But scary of like, oh my gosh, it could have went way worse. Yeah. Right? Um, so just perspective of, yeah, this stinks, man. And I'm going to have a five-year prison sentence, but things could have been worse. So we need to just figure it out and go from here. Right. Five to 99, reading that with your name on the front page of the paper. That has to be mind-boggling. It was absolutely mind-boggling, man. I don't know why I had no clue. I just I don't know the legal system. I just didn't. I was just clueless, man. And I saw it and I was just like, and that's where the attorney was saying, Hey, you've got to just plead guilty. If you don't have a reason for being in there, guilty to intent for, he's like, well, if you don't, and it's like, you're not owning it and they could give you whatever. And I said, well, you're right. I want to own this. So I just pled guilty to it, man. Right. And took what I took. Yeah. 
That's that's what happened with my last charge. Yeah. We got we got pulled over. I didn't have any drugs on me or anything like that. This the guy I was with had a bunch of stuff on him, but it wasn't mine. Yeah. And he ended up getting out and running mm. when the cops when they pulled us over. Mm-hmm. So he runs, and I just remember sitting there. I'm like, oh, I'm good. For the first time, I didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. I'm good to go. And then they ended up giving us the same same charge. And so I'm sitting there like talking with my lawyer, like we gotta fight this, we gotta fight this. And he's like, yeah, like with your previous record. There's no judge or anybody that's going to believe that you weren't involved in that. And so that's where I had to, like, rationalize in my mind. It's like I've gotten away with so much bullshit as far as drugs and on the streets and stuff like that that I, I, whether I did this actually or not, I might as well just take what's coming to me. I had the same thought, Sean. Honestly, the same thought. Like, I didn't think it was going to be that extent, but I just thought back to, like, all the ways in which I, I you know, was wrong and all the ways in which I was out of line you know, in terms of like, just like sexually and just all these things. I'm like, you know what? You just got what's coming to you after all this time. And a lot of people, and the story is one bad night, one bad choice. And that's very true. I mean, I could have easily just walked away from that. But at the end of the day, it's more than that. It's like your your patterns, your lifestyle, your unhealed traumas, man. I was sexually abused as a child and I didn't want to deal with that, man. I was like, I'm not, that has nothing to do with it. It didn't affect me. I don't, that's, that's just back there. But then you look how that shows up in your life if you don't heal that. And you're like, man, I heard you on your last podcast say like, you know, the term I like to use is, and I didn't, I didn't get it. I got it from Ben Milet, not me, but it's like you're best equipped to help those who are going through what you've been through. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, I got to talk about all that. I, yeah. got, there, I know there's people going, hey, me too, man. That happened to me. I've never dealt with it. Um, well, here's how it played out in my life, you right. know, just going around and, and trying to just hurt others the whole time and not thinking you were, but right. you are, you yeah. know, and so. Yeah. Yeah, man. It was a surreal deal. And then I had all this time on my hands now to be introspective and really take a deep dive into not just, okay, you know, you shouldn't drink. Well, yeah, obviously, but what else led to all this, right? right. So you start peeling back those layers. Dude, that's not many, I don't want to say that's a general statement, but it sounds like once you got into prison, you actually utilized that time to actually reflect and start making some changes. I was, when I went to prison, I was amazed with how many people inside there were glorifying the lifestyle that had got them there and just only dug themselves deeper into it. Yeah. And I just remember looking around, I was like, oh, I fucking hate it here. Yeah. I'm, I'll do anything to not come back here again. Exactly. Um, you know, in all honesty, I probably didn't dig as deep as, as what you did because I got out and just got in trouble again. Mm-hmm. But I just remember for whatever reason, like growing up and being in the lifestyle I was, I almost romanticized about prison. It's like, sure. oh, I, could, I could fucking do time. Like, yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm good, I'm good. And then I just remember the first time getting in there and was like, what the fuck was I thinking? Right. Get me out of here. There's no badge on. No, this is not, not at all. Yeah, absolutely. Not at all. I, I did the same thing. It was like, oh, wow, I got the story now. And I was like, dude, you can have that. You know, everyone wants to ha- own everything. And I was like, you can have this play. Like, right. I'm not fighting with a T. I'm not fighting. You can have it all. I want out of here. Like, I yeah. want to see my family. I want to hug my kids. I want to. And so when that's, that was my why, man, like when stuff came up and could have been trouble involved or whatever, it was just like, no, I'm, I'm every day is just to better myself and to get home to my kids. That's it. Period. And if you can't understand that, then we can't, I mean, there were guys that did and I, and I was able to have a positive influence, fortunately, because like, as you know, there are guys that are like, man, I made a mistake, but I, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. And then to your point, there's the ones that like, that's their life. That's it. And we want to yeah. run everything in here. And I'm like, you run it. You have it all. Yeah. Have fun, have fun with all that. Have fun with it, man. I'm trying to get out of here. Right, for yeah. sure. So you do your time, mm-hmm. and you get out, and then what, what does life start to look like once you get out? Man, uh, humbling, slow, slow start, um, but amazing. 
freaking amazing. The the title of your podcast, the redemption stuff, is is uh, exactly what starts to happen. Pretty, I wouldn't say quickly, but um, it was. I got out. My parents picked me up. I had a red onion sack. I don't know if you're familiar with those. That's just what they give you to go out. Had a Bible, some hygiene, and that's it, man. I started over from scratch. Right. Zero. Had nothing I had made in my career. Um, I had spent it on trying to stay out of prison or my obligations when I was in there. So I'm just like, okay, fresh start. Here we go. Here we go, God. This is where I got me. This is why the day I've been waiting for. And uh, I just spent a lot of time with family. And then um, I had a, a really good friend. Well, actually, Nolan's son, Reed Ryan, is the president of the team in Round Rock. And he said, what do you need? And like, when you get out, look me up. What do you need? And I said, well, right now, part of my parole plan is I need a job. And so I went to the stadium, met with them. And I always laugh at this because it was just like, you know, all the shame and guilt behind what I did and and just being in prison thinking no one's ever going to want to be, you know, you no one's ever going to be with me or no one's ever going to like respect me again or no, how are you going to build? How do you go from here? Like just all that shame and guilt I carry. Right. Um, and then baseball is a big part of my life. It's like, God, you know, is baseball ever going to be? Oh, probably not. I don't deserve that. You know, baseball, you, you screwed that up. You're not getting back in baseball. In my mind, that was the enemy working on me. And the first job I get is a maintenance guy at the stadium, the AAA stadium in Round Rock. I can't fix anything. I can't do nothing, dude. They're like, all we have is one role, it's this. But you'll have a supervisor. He knows what he's doing. And uh, I said, okay. And so just humbly, like, whatever you need me to do. Pressure wash. If you've ever been a stadium at Round Rock, AAA, mm-hmm. um, I've pressure washed literally every inch of that concrete. Oh, shit. From the bowl to around it. Anything that's green, I painted it. Anything that, any wood that is stained, I stained it. Because it was just the, the, the mundane job. Yeah. Like, I've got to do this. Because if it thinks something really need to be done, like fixed or built, it was like, that's not you. But you can go do this. And so i get my headphones in, man. I'd be happy as could be. I would just almost like laugh like, God, this is just funny, man. I'm in a baseball stadium. Like, mm-hmm. This is so cool. And the, even when the season started, the guys were in there. And um, and I, I thought I would have been like, oh, man, I used to be out there. But I was like, no, I'm around it, man. This is really cool. And I think the biggest thing was like, and what I try to encourage people to like, how do you, how do you build after something like that? And you know this, you've been through it. It's like, own your stuff mm-hmm. and be humble. Don't, don't, well, I'm too good for that job or no. It's like, no, man, thank you so much for this opportunity. I'm going to do my very best. Right. And that led to getting a promotion there, which was uh, baseball outreach coordinator. So I was over some camps and some, so, and again, it's like, for me, man, it, it, I can't share my story without faith. It's like, it was just all God going. Yeah. Like with my background, it's like, you shouldn't be the baseball outreach coordinator for one of the biggest baseball names in the country. But they showed faith in me, man. And it was like, every time someone showed a little faith in me, it boosted me. It was like, oh man, okay, I can still, there is still something for me out here, right? right. And then- um, Dude, you're right. what you're saying right now is the my life story, basically, since getting sober. It's like somebody believing in you and you get an opportunity and- you know, believe putting a putting a belief in something bigger than yourself. Yes, man. and then just putting good energy out and like trying to help people. It comes back to you tenfold. Like if that if that wasn't true, we wouldn't be sitting here today. I was just gonna say that when I met uh, is it RJ. Yeah, yeah. Dang, I'm dyslexic. Uh, I, I met JR and he was telling me like, yeah, I met Sean and I looked I looked out and I'm like, same thing for you, man. I'm like, you just humbly walk it out and you just keep getting exalted and raised up and you're giving back and right. you're humble and it's like. That was the exact same thing, man. And so, honestly, I I started some teams in that role. It was going well, and I loved it. I mean, Round Rock Express is named after Ness Nolan's nickname, The Express. Mm -hmm. And that's the biggest baseball name in the world. And I'm calling people going, hey, we're doing these teams. I'm calling from the office of Nolan Ryan. And it's a slam dunk. Like I could just ride those coattails forever and be totally good. Mm -hmm. But there was just something still inside of it. I was like, okay, that's their legacy, and it's amazing, and I respect it. 
but what if I'm, what if I'm supposed to have my leg? Like, what if I'm, so me and a buddy, uh, who was working with me at the time, took a leap of faith and, and walked away from that and started our own organization. And, and then that was from one team to two to three to like 30 something now and all these coaches and all this opportunity to, to mentor and help people. And it all really started, Sean, with one time. And I don't remember who it was. I wish I could remember that someone said, Hey, this, 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 these people are looking for pitching lessons for like one-on-one instruction. Are you open to that? And I mean, everything in me was like, not me. Why would you want do they know what I did? Like, uh, you know, and it was just like, oh, I hate dealing with that, man. And I mm. do, and I did. And I did it and it went well. And they wanted to do more. And that led to a couple more private le- And then I'm like, again, the faith, like, thank you for believing in me. I'm going to give you everything I have. And right. it just built. And so the redemption part of it, man, I mean, through my kids, um, you've met my new wife, like the stuff that I didn't think I deserved. That God was like, I still have for you, but you got to walk this out and you got to make some changes. And, uh, you know, it's not like just, yeah, here you go, but blows my mind. Dude. Like I can't even, we could talk all day about the dude. redemption part. Yeah. And you've seen a little bit of it, but there's just been so many things that are just like, you blow my mind, man. Like I don't even belong here. Why? Right. I don't deserve this. And and I think that's where he's like, yeah, I know. That's why as long as you know, it's not you, we're going to keep going, you know? Yeah. So it, dude, that's, it's amazing. Everything you're saying is perfectly aligned with everything that's happened for me with, yeah. you know what I mean? Just the blessings in my life that have come these past couple of years. It's yeah. just like, you know, there's, I talk about it all the time, but there's part of it where it's like, uh, imposter syndrome. Absolutely. You know what I mean? All the time. I don't deserve this. Why do they have me here? Or like any moment now they're going to realize who I am or, or something like that. But you know what I mean? Just stay in the course and the consistency and everything like that. And I did all, I've had so I try to explain it to people and, and I'm like, all I did was just get my shit together and, and start running and trying to help people. And organically, so time after time after time, just good things continue to happen in my life. And it's yes. like, I don't know how to explain it. All I do is just do me and try to do the next right thing. And good, good shit happens. Yeah, it's like if you're trying to be useful, yeah, good stuff happens. And you know what? Selfishly, dude, you might. Yeah, I think you're gonna relate to this. When I do good stuff for people, or when it's like I get something out of it. Yeah, like, I'm not saying that's the only reason I do it, but selfishly, I'm like, people are like, oh, thanks for doing that for that kid or whatever. I'm like. Dude, that helps me. That builds right. me up too, right? 100%. And I just told my wife yesterday, I said, so, you know, I, I definitely still deal with anxiety and depression and mental health issues. And I've told you before, I'm a big Jake Laser fan mm-hmm. and the Unbreakable stuff, which your last guest was like, oh, Unbreakable. I was like, Jake Laser would love that. Right. And he talks about being in the gray. So I'll wake up sometimes, I'm in the gray. Dude, it's a bad day and I don't know why. I mean, my wife's like, you in the gray? I'm like, yeah, is there a reason? No, babe, sorry. I'm just, I don't know, sorry. And so then she's cool. I mean, she knows, but then some days it's good. And some days, I told her this yesterday, this is going to be kind of weird. I said, I feel too good. I'm like, I'm in the blue, but I'm too far in the blue. Things are too good. Mm. What's going to happen? Like, got you. I've got this. This yeah. is happening. I'm going to do this. And then I'm feeling great. Other shoes going to drop any minute right. now. And I'm like, you can't think like that. Just enjoy the blessings while they come. We keep walking them. And then we've had some tough times too, man. We've had to go through some stuff where all of a sudden, it is serious. I'm in the gray. It's for a reason. It's like, you know, I, you know, I have my background and people like to throw that around and mm-hmm. use it against me. And I'm like, hi, I did my time I'm doing good things. Why would you do this to me? Um, but it happens. And yeah. that's how people are. And so you just have to deal with it. You know? Yeah. Do people still do that to you? They do, man. Really? Yeah, they do. Um, Yvette and I just moved into a new neighborhood. Awesome neighborhood, man. We love it. We got a little view. We're just like, oh, we're so blessed, man. And we go to the pool. We meet neighbors. And I always walk out my door. And this is sad to say, man, but it's true. And immediately think someone who's judging me, who knows, 
So I don't know if you know this, I have to register because what mm-hmm. happened to me. And that's that carries a, a, some big weight, man. Yeah. And that, we can get into that system. That's messed up. But you're just bulked into like everyone's in one system. Yeah. So as soon as you see that, it's like, Ugh. you know, and I we had a neighbor going around and, and telling everybody like, hey, this guy used to play baseball, but he did this. Watch out. And, and fortunately, somebody who really got to know us and cared to know the people and not just what that baby was like, hey, I just want you to know this is going on. And it hurt me so bad, dude. Like, not even anger. Like, that's mad. She wants to go over there and knock on the door yeah. and be like, what's up? And I'm like, I was just so hurt. And I'm like, why would you do that? Like, I, And so actually, we made a Facebook post on our neighborhood post and with our pictures. And hey, hey, we're respectful. We get that's a big deal. I have kids. I have a grandson. I understand. Mm-hmm. Like, you want to know who's living near you. And you you have a right to know that. I believe that. A lot of people are like, they don't, it's none of their business. I'm like, no, I don't look at it that way, man. Like, right. I have kids. I have a grandson. And if I see something of that, I would want to know, like, hey, what's going on here? You know? Yeah. That's just good parenting, in my mm-hmm. opinion. But the fact that you would go behind my back and try to, like, yeah, it just really hurt. And I was yeah. like, I'm a good dude, man. If you if you got to know me, I think you would agree, you yeah. know? Um, one, conversa- one conversation with you, and you know what I mean? Yeah, like, I think it would like be just, easy for... So that's what we said in the in the post. We're like, hey, we'll leave you alone. We'll respect you. We're not out to... But at the end of the day, here's who we are, and we're open, and I'm happy to talk about it. And she shared a couple of links to podcasts and stuff. And we got so much cool. Um, I, I was crying. Like, anybody would read them back to me. But hey, we've met them at the pool. And oh, dude, it, it actually gets me emotional because I never want to be thought I was a bad dude. You know, like right. we're bigger guys. We got this, but I'm like, oh, that's not me, man. Like, right. I love people. Yeah. And a few people, like, I didn't even realize they're like, yeah, that guy encouraged my son at the pool one day. Or, that guy's awesome. You know, I was like, oh. it still blows my mind that people can give you that second chance. Yeah. Why that makes me so emotional, I don't even know. I think it's because I just I, I can't stand having to worry about what people think of me. I shouldn't, right? But I do. Right. And so, but the positive reaction is what gets me emotional. It wasn't the negative that she did that. It was the positive feedback from the folks who are like, we got your back, right. you know? So, dude, that's, it messed me up a little bit. No, nah, dude, <laughs> you're, you're hitting the nail on the head because, you know, you just saying that I, I turn internally and think about my stuff and it's like, when I get those moments and those positive affirmations and stuff, it's like, you know, at its core, it's basically like, oh shit, like somebody does love me. Yeah. You know what I mean, somebody when knows care. Like they should, yeah. Hey. Um, dude, and it's it's funny because anybody that's gonna do that to you, you know what I mean? I I guarantee they wouldn't be too uh, too keen on them opening their books on the things that they've right. done in life and stuff like that. Usually, right. that shit comes from a place of hurt or trauma and stuff like that yeah. dude that's that's sad to hear it but i'm glad that there's a silver lining with people who kind of and i think that's the smartest thing you could have done is putting it out there because once you once you do and everybody knows where you're stand what can they use against you exactly you kind of take the power away from them right. and you kind of go okay yeah that that happened and here's what we're doing now and here's how we're using it and um if if, if that is enough for you to just say i don't want to know you right. or your family then i'm it's okay but mm-hmm. we're not going to be disrespectful we're not gonna hurt you we're not you know we're just gonna live our life and we chose this neighborhood because we love our view and we're just regular people you know and here's our grandson our kids and some stuff we're doing now and and so at the end of the day though i mean i think that's part of the consequence of what happened right it's like you gotta live with that man and and for me that's gonna be over my head as of right now for my whole life mm-hmm. um so it's just like okay well and then at the same time it's like i can focus on that and i tend to focus on negative stuff sometimes right or i can go perspective shift and go look at how many things you've been able to do with that target on your back right not because of you 
because of God's grace. Like focus on that yep. and not the one lady who's running around telling people about it, you know? Yeah, for sure. But I need that reminder all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So talking about the blessings, that kind of yeah. takes us into what you do today with your book. Yeah. All right. So how did that even come about? Yeah. So I had always had, I guess, a dream or a desire to write about my story. Um, and then I had been told several times, similar to you, like, hey, man, you, know, you, should, you should write a book. You right. should get the story out. You should whatever. And I just, I would try it. I kept, I kept a journal in prison, which was really cool to have. And, and it really reflected all of that. So it was helpful for the book. But every time I would get tips and stuff on like how to do it, um, I just, I would hit a, hit a stumbling block. I would just go and write a chapter a day, write a page a day, write it. And I would try these things and I just didn't know how to put it together. Right. right. Like, you need a workout program or a throwing program. I got you, but right. book, I didn't have a clue, man. Right. And so, uh, just kind of those divine appointments, man, grace of God, there's a guy named Stephen Mackey. He's out doing great work, just positive. He's in that, that space of just out speaking and, and I uh, got a hold of him through a friend and, and he had written a book and he gave me some time on the phone, which I was grateful for. And he was the first one. Cause I had, I had picked a lot of people's brain that had books. I'm like, how'd you do this? How'd you do this? How'd you do this? Mm -hmm. And he was the first one to go, what do you need? And I said, honestly, what I think I need is someone to hold my hand the entire process. And he goes, okay. And kind of filed it away. Great conversation. Great. The next day he meets a guy named Alex Demchak who owns Streamline Books. And that's what they do. They take your story. I think you might have met with them. I they did. take your story and they walk you through it. And that's what I needed. And I was like, these are the guys I need. Right. And so they walked me through it. They held me accountable. And I think within a year of meeting them, I had my book completed. And so uh, it was so cool, man. Just that. I, I don't know, man. I, I hate to say never. I'm not an I can't guy. I'm a coach puff positive, right? right? But I'm like, I don't know if I ever could have like done that on my own. So having right. those guys come in and support me and and uh, Yvette was right by my side, uh, really made it come to fruition. And then once that happened, it was it was like, okay, worst case, I've got this story for my family. It's out there if it can help some people. And best case, which has happened, is it leads to some more speaking and more encouraging people and more mentoring people and helping people who have been through what I have or something similar. Right. How crazy is it to uh, to get your first copy of your own book and your own life story and look at the look at the cover and see the pages and stuff? What's that feel like? It's surreal. Man. Is that it really is surreal. Yeah, there's really still there was one laying on our thing when I walked out because Yvette was like, "Hey, can you sign this book for someone?" And one of my friends, yeah, yeah. She set it on the counter and I walked by. I see it. I'm like, "That's wild. It's really wild." Right. And I mean, you know, no, let's do it to like get rich or sell it, but it's just like to have it. Man, that's really cool. Yeah. Um, so it's cool, man. I love it. When they told me when the when the documentary was first getting released, they told me that there was going to be DVD copies, and then I found out they were going to be in Walmart. Yeah. I was like, holy shit. First, I was like, DVDs. Like, who buys DVDs right. anymore? But I was like, yo, I got a DVD in Walmart right That's now. That's so cool. And like, man. I still, you know, I, I have one copy of it. I went and bought it. And it's like, holy fuck. Yeah. Like, I have a, like, that's it's surreal. So I imagine I know a little bit about what you're talking about. Totally. Yeah. And I watched yours. I was like, that is so awesome, man. That is so cool. Thank you. Yeah. You were supposed to bring me a book. Was I really? I know. I don't know. Still, I could buy one. No, no. I want to give you one. Sorry, I just didn't buy think about one. it, man. That's right. I wasn't yeah. going to text you and remind you, but it was. Rough. If you would have, I would have done it in a heartbeat. I think I still have that, like, I don't want to be the guy who's like, here's my book. Uh, <laughs> I want. I, I, you want I, my book? I'll sign it for you. I, yeah. want, I want one for sure. Okay. Yeah. Um. So, what's life? So, you're traveling around speaking. Like, what does life look for you to. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I would say my main. Well, it's definitely my main focus and my passion project is my nonprofit baseball program. I have a youth and high school baseball program um, from 8U through college. And so the majority of my time is spent coaching 
um, private lessons. I have teams. I'm heading to Dallas with an 18U team tomorrow to try to help them get exposure to go to college and some are getting drafted. And so I just love that, man. Like I'm just enthralled with that. I didn't, I never knew coaching would give me what it gives me. Like, you know, if people ask, how do you get back what you had when you had that adrenaline, you're pitching and you got the fans and I'm like coaching and pouring into these kids just does it. Like, I just love it. And then, yeah, I would say kind of like on the side, I'm, I just take speaking engagements as they come. And um, sometimes they're like, you know, we're busy with it. And sometimes it just kind of like levels off for a little while. And we just, we're just available for it. I say we, cause Yvette is usually the one kind of like, you know, Hey, I got this email and they want to see if you want to go do this. I'm like, yeah, I was just kind of like, I made a deal with God when I was in prison, dude. It was just like, I don't want this to be in vain. So if anybody asks me to come share, like if it's 10 people at the local FCA, awesome. I'm in. And if yes, dude, can you come down to San Antonio and do a podcast? I'm in. Like I just, I just available. So um, that's led to some pretty cool podcasts and a couple of cool speaking engagements. And, but I would say my main gigs, the baseball, the GPS legends, and then, you know, speaking and sharing my story. It happens, you know, I don't know, a couple times a month or whatever, right. but it's cool. I enjoy doing it when I get the opportunity. And that's what's, that's what's up. Yeah. What, uh, so what's the, what's the ultimate goal for you with everything you're doing? Yeah, man, honestly, it's to help and encourage as many people as I can. It really is. I mean, I, I know it sounds cliche, probably you're a little pie in the sky, but it really is. And if, if that's doing the GPS legends and coaching as many kids as I can and watching them have the opportunity to go play and, and achieve their dreams or pouring a couple nuggets into their life because they're, they want to be good at baseball, but you're able to kind of share some more life stuff. Right. Um, that's it. And if speak, getting on you know, podcasts and speaking, if the book keeps rolling and that's something I, I continue to do, it's all just to encourage people. It really right. is, man. Like, it's like, okay. If one person is encouraged by my story from this, from today, then it's so worth it for Dude, me. Dude, that's the same way I am. Like I, I'm just like you. I'm down. If someone wants me to come talk to whoever it is, like I'm down. People listen, I'll, I'll come talk and I'll, yeah. I'll share my experience. And you're right. It just leads to like the next thing, the next thing. And it's, you know, I've, I'm a horrible self-promoter. You know, we talked before the podcast about like social media. I suck. I suck at so much of that stuff, but all I know is I just keep doing me and I keep just trying to help people and it just keeps leading me in, yeah. in these different positive directions. So people keep, grab a hold of it and they're like, hey, we want to promote you. Like, we wanna, I'm, I'm with you, man. I just said, I'm like, I'm going to bring my book and be like, I bet you right. want this. Right. Uh, and they're like, posting's hard and like, it's just tough, man. But, you know, again, I have my wife in my corner and you have you know, your girl and your team here that are like, well, we don't believe in you. We believe in your story, so we'll put it out there. Right. And that's cool. Like, yeah. If you want to exalt it, that's awesome. Right. But I'm not very good at it either. Right. Dude, and I think, I don't know, you, you could tell me if I'm wrong, but I know for me, my ego is so big when I was getting high and getting drunk and stuff like that, that sober-wise, I'm so polar opposite of that. And so, like, I'll share my story if it's going to help people, but I'm never just going to, like, lead a conversation. I'll be like, hey, you know, by the way, they got a documentary about me or anything like yeah. that just because I'm so hyper aware of ego now that I don't ever want to be that person again. That's very true of me as well. Even if, yeah, cause the ego was a huge problem. Um, even if it was insincere, like, cause at the, at the root of it, man, I still feel like, again, I go back to like, you know, we're, we're both big dudes and we got Taz and people probably look at us like, oh, they're tough. I'm just a softy, man. Like I'll hold my own, like, you know, if we got it, it's, that's fine. That's exactly. so separate that the ego Actually, it's just for me, I always feel like it's just low self esteem. It's actually the opposite. It was just like posturing, like I'm tall and I'm a man because I'm not. Because I'm, right. I feel so insecure inside. And it's gotten better through like, you know, recovery and all right. that. But at the end of the day, for me, like, you no, know, that ego is just kind of false anyway, you yeah. know? And 100%. so 
keep walking like humbly. And then it's like, okay, that, that's, that's more like it. Like that's more like it. And for me being a Christian, it's like, that's Christ-like man. Being Christ-like is not going out and you're better than everybody. And you think you're something special, yeah. even though you don't think it, but you act like it because you're trying to just cover up how you really feel right. for me. Yeah, for know? sure. Yeah. Just always trying to cover up fear, always, insecurity. Man. Yeah. Dude, it's funny. You just said that about, a. My, my sister, she's always like, you know, you're just a big teddy bear. And I'm like, shh, like, yeah. don't tell anybody. Yeah. Fuck my rep up. Yeah. But I'm like, you guys get to see a different side of me that I've never really, like, showed show yeah. people like that. But, you know, people see the tattoos or the, that you're bigger or whatever. And, like, I always, I find myself, especially in sobriety, like, I'm quick to want to open my mouth and talk with the person. Because as soon as they hear me talk, then they're like, oh, wait a minute. Like, he actually has some sense about him. Like, yeah. At first, I just saw neck and hand tattoos and was immediately wanted to guard my purse. But now he, he's talking with some sense in him. And, yes. You know what I mean? So it's that's like my way to to take people off guard all the time. Because I, I want to be approachable. I want people to come talk to me, too, ask me questions so I can share my experience and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, I do too, man. I, I met a guy at the pool in our neighborhood. And um, there was two guys there. And this guy always, he laughs about this now. Uh, the one guy, I had my son, I saw him sitting there. And I go, hey, man, you look familiar to the... We kind of like, hell, I think you were at the same gym I do or something. And the other guy was just like, oh, you guys know each other. And then just the cloud coverage, I took my sunglasses off. He goes, oh, you're the guy that smiles at everybody at the gym. I was like, yeah, because I don't want to be the guy who's like, you know, I'm like, right. yeah, I want to like, like get your guard down with a good smile and know like, hey, man, I, don't, I might look however or whatever right. you may perceive me as, but I just really want to be a positive influence on you. I really want to be an encourager. Like at the, at the heart, that's who I am, you know? And uh, I actually think that's why I gravitate to why we click so good is because here you and I are at this CADCA conference speaking on a panel with these doctors and professionals, right, and right. we're both probably imposter syndrome. And I'm like, right. oh, he's one of he's me. He's one yeah, of me. Yeah. He's, he's one of my people. Like, right yeah, yeah. And so it's like automatically I'm over here, right? Right. And so I, I just think that uh, I, we can relate in so many ways. Yeah. That. For sure. Yeah. Um, that's funny. He called you the, you're the guy that smiles at everybody. Yeah, the gym. and so now that was like months ago. And now the kid who overheard it, um, he always says, "Oh, it's so funny that time." And I'm like, "Dude, but that warms my heart. That's how I want to be known. Yeah. I don't want to be known as, oh, you're the guy that lifted whatever. Or you're the guy that did this. Or you're, it's like, oh, dude, I want to be the guy that smiles at people at the gym, you know? Right. And I'm not even done getting work done because I happen to love tattoos. But right. at the end of the day, it's not to be tough or to be angry. It's just something I enjoy, you know? All right, for sure. I have a buddy, his name's Lance. He jokes around. He tells me I'm the mayor at the gym. Yeah. Just because, like, yeah. the first 10, 15 minutes, it's me, like, saying what's up to everybody that's all, like, part of that crew. And I'm like, bro, I love it. These are, like, my people. Like, yes. And it's, you know, there's a lot of people I don't even know their names, but I know their full stories. I know yes. their background and stuff like that. And that's that's my sh sanctuary. I want to know everybody there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Same way, man. Every, seems like everybody at the gym always has a cool story. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's yeah. a, There's a... They're there for more than working out. There's some underlying thing that got them there. I agree, man. And like you said, I, I heard you say at your last guest, I was shaking my head. It's like the gym is so good for the mental health, man. Like, I kid you not. I, if, if my, you know, I have coaches and partners in my thing and they're like, hey, can you do a meeting at, you know, 930 and whatever? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, what do you got? I'm like, oh, I got a mental health meeting. Like, you're going to go work out. And she's like, yep. Yep. But I got to schedule it, dude. I have to have it. Right. Because if I don't, I just, it doesn't work for me. Yeah. And so. I agree, man. That's my sanctuary, and that's my my mental health, and and I and, and I think to your point, that's most of the folks in there. I'll look around and go like, they're dealing with something, or they've been through something, and this is their sanctuary. Yeah, yeah. Especially the people you see consistent, mm -hmm. day in day out. You know what I mean? They're not just. I see them once or twice a week. 
anybody that wants to get up and be at the gym at 5 a.m you know what i mean like there's something that's burning a little deeper there to make that go make that go on usually no doubt no Um, how so how long when did you get in so so involved in with the gym Man, I think most of my life, my mom was a triathlete. So nutrition, working out was like really instilled in us when we were young. My dad was a, an athlete and stuff. So um, I think I picked up those habits early, like watching my mom get up, like you just said, at four in the morning, she puts her two boys in the back of the car to go swim miles to before work. You know, it's like, she can't leave us at home, so we're along for the ride. And it's like, I watched her work ethic and her consistency, and she's still out with this day, man. And I think it was always instilled in me. Mm-hmm. And so when I played baseball, a lot of the lifting was frowned upon in terms of like getting big and, you know, being inflexible and stuff. So I always said like, dude, as soon as I'm done, I'm just going to get as big as I can, do all the lifts they said I can't do. And then it turned out that when I was done, I went to prison. So now it's like, you know, fitness in there and, yeah. and mental health and just time. And so it just started with push-ups and the weight stacks out there. And then when I I just would dream about, man, I can't imagine I can get out and have free weights again mm-hmm. and, and eat right and get creatine and all these things. Yeah. So I just have always had a passion for that. And, uh, you know, I think some of it is vanity at times and yeah. some of it is just like, just makes me feel so much better, man. We just went through a season where we were super busy and Yvette had to had to be out of the gym for a couple months and just watching her go through that, that battle of just like try to support and be you know, positive, but knowing like you need this baby, not, not for your body, not for any of that, but just for this, yeah. for your mind. Um, so she just got back in two weeks ago and she's like, it's unbelievable. How I feel after two weeks. Yeah. Like, isn't it crazy what it just does for you? Right. So I, it's always been there. I think I really ramped it up right after my career, because again, during my career, it's like, you can't go throw up heavy or you sh- I don't know if you can't, but the, the science then was you've got to be flexible and you shouldn't bench and you shouldn't get big and, and all that, even though, you know, the hitters were yeah. like we talked about, they were, they were yoked and they were juicing and but as pitchers you you weren't supposed to do that so i right. shied away from it the um you said you know about the gym being vanity i think some of some of it is that mm-hmm. but i mean if you i know i'm not getting any younger i'm sure you feel the same way yeah. but you know i take a look at people my age you know i'm 40 years old i take a look at people that you know that i've known for a long time i see people that work out people that don't work out or, and then you start seeing as people get older, 50, 60, 70 years old, and people that work out and don't, it's like, fuck, man. Like, 70s feels like it's right around the corner. And it's such a staggering difference between somebody who can't even leave their house because they've never did any resistance training or worried about cardio or anything like that. And now they have all these ailments and stuff like that. Or, like, you know, my, I remember when my grandmother was 70, I used to have to jog to even keep up with her. She was just so fit. Like yeah. my, I mean, I'm a teenager and I'm like, I literally having to jog to be keep up with her. And she's just boom, 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 boom. Like I'm trying to be that. I don't want to sure. be confined to my house and no, type totally. two diabetic and just unhealthy. You know what I mean? Like you're exactly right. Trying to make up for lost time for all the damage I did to my body before that too. Yeah. We ran hard. We've yeah. bodies through a lot and we're trying to just, you know, I think of it as like, is, is my temple, man, like that God gave me and you only have one of them. And, and so I try my best to be, you know, good with nutrition. I mean, I, sometimes I'll, I still have that personality, man. If you put some snacks in the house, oh, yeah, like, I'll tell you that. I'm like, it's, it's done. Like, it's not, it's not couple. It's the bag's gone, like, yeah. period. And so we're, we try to be intentional about what's in the house and what's not. Right. Um, but yeah, no, I agree with you, I think. And I just look around, man, and I, not in a judgmental way, but I mean, you could just sit in the lobby today waiting on you and just look at the health. Of, of people and then just and it's you know, not be super fit or super jacked or anything i mean none of that but like just healthy man right i just feel like um more and more and more that it's just like fast food and 
no time to work out. And I get it. It's hard to, to carve out that time when you're busy and you have kids and you're working. It's so important, man. It's just so important. So when I see it, 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 it sometimes it just makes me sad. I'm like, I don't want, I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to, like right. you said, I don't want to just cash it in and be like, yeah, I'm old, whatever. Let's just let it go. So right. I don't want to. Yeah. Um, when I started getting into the gym and super dedicated, like I made a promise to myself like this, this in my life is non-negotiable. This is what I do for me. Yeah. And, you know, going with a, a career field where you're helping people. What's the saying? You can't pour from a cup half full or something like that. Does anybody know the saying? You can't pour from a cup half full. I'm probably butchering it. Where it's like you got you to you gotta fill your own cup. You got to fill your own cup. That's what I was going to say. If your cup's not full, you can't pour anybody. Right, right, right. right. And so that's, that's what. You can't pour from an empty cup. And so I like. You can. I'm butchering. You're not going to get as much as if it was full, right, yeah, but right. you can pour it. Yeah. Right. Um, How about a quarter no, full? Yeah. Right. But that's, I do that for myself for other people. Totally. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if if I don't do that, like you're saying, I don't operate the same way. I'm yep. not as sharp. I'm not as witty. I'm not as. Yep. I don't give as good advice or like any of these. Things. I don't make the best decisions. Like all that. Like I. That's just. It's non-negotiable. Like luckily. Luckily, my lovely wife knew that from the moment she met me. She's never asked me not to go, and yeah. she's that's just this is what I do. That's Tom, um, yeah. and I even with even with jobs and work, you know, there's been, you know, I had an employer for a little while who he would try to get me to do things early morning, and I'm like, dude, I, I can't. This is same time, yeah. Between uh, you know, between five and eight, that's my workout time. That's yeah. when I'm getting my stuff ready. That's when I'm doing this. Like work doesn't start till nine. I can't do that. I agree. And it's like you. You wanted me on your team because you loved who I am. So don't try to change now who I am. Right? right. You wanted me here for a reason. And so just trying to get people to understand that. But somebody who doesn't have that type of lifestyle, it's hard to explain. Where it's just like, oh, just don't go. Yeah. And that it's will like, happen if you allow it. They'll just, yeah. next thing you know, your day is full of everything. And you're like, uh oh, now what? And for you, fortunately, you have a great lifestyle getting up super early. Yeah. I don't really roll like that, man. I get fishing right. lessons so late at night. And I like to go home and relax. Right. Right. I'm not waking up at four in the morning. Right. So for me, from eight to 10. Yeah. It's like, dude, don't, I'm not on the phone. I won't answer. Yep. I mean, it was an emergency, obviously. But, like, at the end of the day, like, I might text you back in between sets a little bit. But at the end of the day, that's my time, man. And that's it. And they know that now, which is great. And there's no go. You know, there's things. Like, I didn't go this morning because I was going to come down to San Antonio. That's fine. Maybe I get it when I get home. Maybe I don't. But there's times. But if you let it become a habit right. and then and then you give yourself permission to miss. Yeah. And then before you know that, it's like, dude, now I'm out of it. Right. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it's the same way for... Same way for drinking for me. If if it's okay for me to have one, then in a couple of days it'll be okay for me to have three. It'll be okay for me to have five. And I'm starting rails off the back of the toilet. Then who yeah. knows what happens after that? But that's how option, that's dude. how I am. So yeah. I do this to make sure that doesn't happen. You know yeah. what I mean? I keep my my intentions and my day to day as healthy and my mind on that. I'll even go so far as to say that's my addiction. Yeah. I, I, I traded addictions. Right. My mom works in that space and she'll just be like, yeah, you just traded addictions. And sometimes she's even like, I'll say, oh, I, she, I'll go on a vacation and I don't work out. She's like, did you work out? And I'm like, no. She goes, that's so good. Is it? Right. She's like, well, it's good that you let yourself do that. You know? And I'm like, yeah, I guess. Right. But uh, I don't want to get too far off. Yeah. yeah. In the, in the recovery world, there is people, people who have said that to me about running or the gym or whatever. You're trading one addiction for another. And I was like, I prefer the term I, I harnessed and redirected a lot of energy I used to put in a negative into something positive. Yeah, absolutely. But this, this has put me on the best people I know. It's structured my life. It's given me discipline. I, I eat right. I sleep right. I drink water. Like, I know. we can call it an addiction, but it's 
transform my life for the positive in every form of facet. Is, yeah, so that's a good addiction. And yeah. I'll take if sure. it's if it's that over what we were doing. Yeah, I'm good. You can call it what you want, but I'm right. doing it. Yeah, absolutely. So I have some fun questions for you. Fun for who? Fun for us both. <laughs> fun for us both. Okay, not, all right. not, nothing crazy, but um, I like doing this because you know you could you can come on here and tell your story, but they don't. They know your story, but they don't really know who you are. Sure. So this is just some candid questions cool. to help them get to know you a little better. So with you being a uh, you being a major league pitcher, is there a bat? Who are you most proud to have pitched against? And then is there a batter you wish you could have pitched against that you weren't? You never of, of any any era. Man, that's pretty good right there. That is like, fun. You already, um, you already, you already talked about Sosa Bonds. Yeah, face both of those guys, which is cool. Those are guys you want to face. Um, I, I was able. I usually talk about the home runs I gave up because, again, humility, self-deprecating humor. But the guy I was most proud to strike out was probably David Ortiz. Oh. We got him in Fenway, and it was like a fastball in looking. It was one of those you, you executed your pitch. I was like, yeah, that felt good. Right. Um, but again, dude, being a fan. Uh, the guy who owned me the most was Chipper Jones. Really? Nightmares about that dude. He just banged everything off the wall. Whatever I threw. And it's not like a huge... I wouldn't play forever in the big leagues, but it's like, say it was six at-bats. Yeah. It's six for six. With oh, like shit. Serious contact. Not like weak sauce hits. Like, dude, owned me. Right. Unbelievable. People forget about Chipper Jones. Chipper was a, Chipper was a beast. <sighs> beast, man. And then... Um, but you know what? Uh, Paul was like... I think I honestly faced most of the guys that... I grew up watching and not most, but a lot of that was a surreal moments. I like to share with people like uh, the first time I faced bonds, we intentionally walked him because that's what everyone did at that time. Mm -hmm. And then the next guy hit a fielder's choice. So bonds is on second base. And that was actually my first outing in Houston, my first home outing. And I'm checking my runner. Were they letting him run bases? Oh, he wasn't doing anything really, but he was running. Yeah. Yeah. He was just on the base pass and um, he's getting his lead off second and I'm checking him and I'm trying to face this guy. And I'm literally in my mind going, it out man that's Barry Bonds like, he's right there I could turn around and try to pick him off or whatever like he's right there right. and I just like clear your mind dude what are you doing you can't face this guy and be worried about Bonds but I went through that stuff like I probably wouldn't admit it so much at the time but yeah. looking back because you have to be like no I'm not scared of anything I'm gonna get it and it's like yeah that stuff affected me man so you know that was one of those things and then I don't know man I think it would have been kind of cool to face Dave Winfield he was one of my favorite players uh not cool in the sense that He's just this huge imposing figure in the box and probably could do damage, but just like that was a challenge I would have wanted to take. Right. Yeah. Is there something so like you got you got bonds on second? Yeah. And is there like is there unwritten rules in baseball where it's like you don't try to pick off Barry Bonds? Like if you would have done that, everyone looked at you like, bro, come on. It's no, not in terms of picking off. I mean, it would probably be lame because he's not stealing third. He's just out there kind of doing his thing. But like, not in terms of that. There's no unwritten rules on that. It's like, you know, fair game. If right. he's getting off too much and we see something, it would be okay to pick him off. But more than anything, it's just focusing on your self-talk to ignore the fact that you're consumed with this dude out here who you're trying to face whoever that was who's a big league hitter and trying to trying to crush you too, you know? Right. So just it's controlling your self-talk and your breathing and stuff and trying to forget about all that was important. Right. Yeah. Good shit. Who's your favorite pitcher of all time? <sighs> Really good one. I grew up a Dodger fan. So I was, I, I, my dad was born in LA. We grew up in Southern California and I loved Fernando Valenzuela. I mean, okay. I loved him and I ended up um, working into like really liking Oral Hershizer a lot. So it, at that time, it was just whatever Dodger was really good. Right. And those two, th- through, you know, most of my childhood were the, were the dudes for the Dodgers. So I grew up loving those guys. Damn. Yeah. 
Chipper Chipper Jones was your your kryptonite. Hundred percent, like absolutely owned me. Uh, I I I've had a chance to tell him a couple times, and like it's just like dude, I don't know what it was. Like I just whatever I tried, you just had your number. Had it. It wasn't like I was so good that I should have been. Like, but it was just like certain guys, you know, you get them, they get you, you get them. Just how it happens, you know. Uh, not it. He always got me, man. Were you ever were you scared for a batter coming up? That's a great question, man. And I, and I'm I'm starting to be more transparent to help other guys that I know what they go through. I pitched different when I was in the big leagues than when I was in AAA. And it, I might be facing the same hitter. Like I just faced this guy in New Orleans or wherever I was in AAA at the time. Now we're on a big league stage, and I'm trying to be too fine. I'm trying to make the perfect pitch I'm, instead of just attacking. So just in general, I feel like I pitched a little scared in the big leagues, man. And I just recently started admitting that because it's like, can't admit that. Like, yeah. But I really think if I would have allowed myself to just block all that out better mm. and just attacked with my best, whatever it is, let it, I, I could have probably had a little more success. Right. Um, I actually have admitted recently, too, that the first time I got sent back to AAA, it was like, oh, now I can, call, I can relax. I'm right. on my guys. I know that's a tough mentality to have. You shouldn't. But I think more guys than will admit it yeah. do. Because you're up there and there's all that pressure. Yeah, the lights aren't so bright. Yeah. And you go back where you can just kind of be comfortable yeah. and just play baseball. Like, this is where you want to be, of course. But I'll never forget. And it was a scary feeling where I'm like, oh, man, I kind of feel like I can relax a little bit here and just be myself again, you know? Right. So, yeah, I mean, I think overall it wasn't like one particular hitter where I'm like, oh, God, I don't want to face that guy. Because I actually got excited to face the big guys. Because who doesn't, right? You're like, right. dude, these are the... The guys you get, you're going to tell your grandkids about, really, they hit a home run or you get them out. It's like, that's the fun stuff. But just in general, the big league atmosphere um, probably got got me more than it should have. Just I think because I was just such a big fan, man. Like, I love baseball. Right. There's dudes that uh, I would have roommates that we'd go play and we'd go back to the hotel and I'd turn on a game and I'm like, dude, we're going to watch baseball. We just did this all day. What do you mean? This is all I want to watch. I, I love it. This is what we it do. almost would have been better at times to have that mentality just go home and watch something different like right. be away from it you know right was there anybody that was uh so then hey, who looked the scariest coming up to the plate dude i just remembered this guy because i saw something on twitter about him and it was mo vaughn you remember mo that guy vaughn, yeah big old dude lefty brewers uh he might uh that i think i think a prince fielder but they look similar. Mo Vaughn, oh, I remember big Red Boston Sox. Red Sox guy. Red yeah. Sox. Yeah, so he would, actually when I faced him, he was with the Mets. And I'll never forget, he was so big and he crowded the plate. And like, I guess the book on him was you throw him in because he crowded the plate. But I will literally never forget, they called fastball in and my catcher set up like under his hands. And I couldn't even see the catcher. I was like, dude, he just disappeared behind this monster of a man in the box. Again, one of those moments where you're just like, okay, you got to execute your pitch. You need to quit thinking about how big this dude is. Right. And then on a funny note, I faced Randy Johnson. He was hitting. Oh, shit. And he couldn't hit. But it was just the fact that he's standing in there at like 6'11". Right. I'm like, it was weird. It was like, Cass is weird to face Randy Johnson on that end, you know? Right. Yeah, but Mo Vaughn was an intimidating dude. Did you ever face Griffey or Frank Thomas? Face Griffey. Did you? Um, Yeah, face Griffey. When when he was in Cincinnati, actually. Towards the end, I faced him in San Diego. I got him out, but... He, he hit it. I think he hit it pretty good, like a fly ball to the right or something. It was a pretty big situation. I remember I got him on a changeup. Um, I don't remember facing the big hurt, Thomas, but I bet he was imposing in there. Yeah. I would remember, so I must not have faced him. Right. Griffey, I was a Pirates fan growing up. Oh, yeah. I'm surprised the Pirates even still have a team in Pittsburgh right now. Right. Um, Griffey was hands down always my favorite player. He was the reason I wore number 24 for – From for, Fuller High School, right? For every – In Ohio? 
Griffey is? Yeah. I didn't even know that. He's from Ohio, man. I didn't even know that. Yeah. Um. But Griffey, to me, like, Griffey is like, like Steph Curry is for basketball. Yeah. Griffey was for me just like the prettiest, most effortless swing. Absolutely. Just like, just pure, like, I, the way I see Steph Curry shoot threes and yeah. stuff like that, it's just so perfect and Hell so yeah. beautiful. That was how I looked at Griffey swinging a bat, and that was Absolutely. like, my God. Oh, yeah. No, he's a stud, man. That's one of the prettiest swings in baseball history. No doubt. I'm, gl- I'm glad to hear that. I agree, man. Mm-hmm. All right. what? Um, these ones are more just kind of quick. Uh-huh. Right? What's your fight song? So you're walking out to the mound. Lights go out. What song? When the lights come back on, what song are they playing? So answering that question now, just like being in the gym, uh, I really like the song. I believe I hate this title, but it's called Demons by Imagine Dragons. Okay. I just relate to the lyrics. It just gets me going. But I actually, I did have walkout songs when I pitched. So I came out in Houston. I came out to Here Comes the Boom by P.O.D. Mm-hmm. Uh, at one point. Uh, big Metallica guy. So like almost anything Metallica gets me gets me pretty amped. Right. But uh, yeah, I gotta say these days, man, if I really got to hit that set, I got my amped up playlist. I'm like, one of Demons. Now you go, yeah. Good shit. I just saw an entrance to... I want to say a Mets pitcher or somebody, and they did the trumpet. No, they did. They started off with the Undertaker theme, like oh. the lights went out, and they did the doll. Okay, doll like that, and then it went into some Spanish music eventually. But I was like, oh, so out, I wonder coming out to the Undertaker theme, walking out on the ball field. Is there's a guy wild. named uh, Edwin Diaz who's Mets closer last year. You have to look it up. He came out to I want to say it's called Timmy Trumpet or something, and it was like. Duh. I, I saw that too. I totally butchered that. But anyway, it, that is awesome. Like, that was so offbeat because usually those closers come out to the hardcore. It's cool. Right. That was a cool scene, man. The whole crowd would get it. He didn't get hurt, but the whole crowd would get into it. But I did get to sit in on like Trevor Hoffman coming out to when I was with the Padres, coming out to um, uh, Hills Bells and like just the whole thing, the stadium. Like, when closers were gone, that was cool to watch, man. Right. Just being a part of that, just watching that was neat. It's wild. All right. So imagine dragons. Yeah, it's All shockingly. Right. All right, I'm going to check it out. So first word that comes to mind, family. Everything. Everything? Good. The gym. Sanctuary, like we said earlier. Good shit. What is your favorite show? Twofold. Okay. Ridiculousness. Really? Okay. MTV, dude, I wear it out. So, like, they play it about 24 hours a day, yeah, so it's not hard to find. But when they don't, all right, we DVR them, and it's just like, that's, I just... Laughter is so big for me, man, yeah. like in this mental health realm. And then, but if we're going old school, it's King of Queens. And they still replay that, too. I was watching it last night. Yeah. Dude, I love it. Those love are like your show. comfort shows? Those two, yeah. You got any, when I wind down at night. You got any newer ones that have come out recently that you were hooked on? Newer TV shows? Yeah. Man. And we just stick with those? I stick with those. And like, um, what is he? He's bound to bend. Oh, that's, I saw a little bit of that. Yeah, yeah. One time, some guys like, "This is about your life." I was like, "Oh, thanks, man." <laughs> Not the greatest compliment, but it's funny, dude. Yeah. No, that's a uh, old powers, right? Yeah. No, that's a good show, man. I like that. Um, and then um, the only time we ever like Netflix binged a show, we're not big bingers. Mm. Is I did get into the um, Ozark a little bit, like, mm. not a little bit. We got into that, and then we tried to find other ones after that, and I just never. And also for me, when I'm watching TV, I'm doing other things. I want background noise. I want some laughs. So if 
like if you ever watch a movie or like something you got to pay attention to, it's really hard for me. Gotcha. It starts and I'm like, crap, I can't, I'm sorry, I'm lost. <laughs> so I'm always just all over the place. So those all shows, right. you can watch those all day long and just catch laughs and do other things, you know? Yeah. There's an, have you ever seen the outtake from Eastbound and Down when they're in the, they're in the car dealership and they're like facing off? Yeah. That's hilarious. The with the, with Will, Fer- Will Ferrell? It's like, let Will him, Ferrell, yeah. let him watch. Let the boy watch. Let the boy watch. Will Ferrell is a gem. Dude, so Anything good. he does, I'm in. So so good. They don't make movies like that anymore. No. First word that comes to mind: United States of America. I was prepared for this, and I still can't get it because I heard it earlier. Um, man, do I have to use one word? Whatever you want. Okay, because here's what I want to say. I truly think of myself as a patriot, and I love the United States of America, 100. percent There's nowhere else I'd rather be. But I just feel like right now, I almost want to say confused. Like that's the word that comes to my mind. Yeah. Or struggling, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so yeah, I don't know if, how to elaborate on that. But my first thought is pride. 100% I'm proud. I'm not, I'm not anyone of those, oh, you know, I like, dude, I'm proud. Like yeah. when I hear it, I'm like, well, heck, you can go. Like there's other places. But then I want to, I want to see it, you know, I want to see it improve like improve or get back to more stable maybe is what i'm trying to say right doesn't feel real stable yeah i don't know if that's just media and i'm just kind of like because ah, i'm not really a political guy i don't follow right. it closely but just from the outside looking in i'm like everything just seems so chaotic yeah you know dude it's you for me you just hit the nail on the head with with the media part because like this out here i'm proud of yeah everything i see on this i'm not proud of god you know what i mean right and it's like what's real because what I see on this every day, I don't see out here. Every right. day, you know what I mean? Like this will have me believe all these these things. I'm not saying the world's perfect by any stretch sure. of the imagination, yeah, but yeah. on a day-to-day basis, I interact with people from all different walks of life, Absolutely. all different ethnic backgrounds, Absolutely. different religions, stuff like that. And I see overwhelming amounts of, of love and caring and, and all that stuff. I, you know, I, I don't see all this bullshit that you see on the, yeah. the media stuff. The unfortunate part is, and like I guess it's my time in the military, is knowing the rest of the world only sees this and they don't know about this. And so it's like, man, how are we, we, I guess we can say here and be like, well, I don't care what people think of us or whatever, but I do like, I have, how are we perceived? I have pride in wearing the uniform and the flag and stuff like that. And then when these other countries are leaders are making comments about how things are looking and stuff like that, it's like, God damn, this is not a, this is not what I'm yeah. not proud of that right there. Agree. Yeah. Agreed. But ultimately, man, if I could go back and, 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 answer the question in one word it is it is pride it is proud love it yeah so i don't know if this is a good question because you're not a big uh you're not a big tv guy like but favorite movie ever no it's it's good so uh favorite movie ever goodwill hunting okay favorite like funny if i just want to get some laughs anything will ferrell but old school anchorman mm-hmm. oh, dude. we just watched and that. honestly just like purest from start to finish comedy dumb and dumber the first one is so freaking it funny is. dude like you can go rewatch and just go how did they nail it like there's no lull it's right. just like hilarious all the way through right. so I'm, I'm really into that too when we're, when we're not podcasting jason and i get into a lot of talks about movies and shows and nice. stuff like that and they just don't make them they don't make them like they used to For there's sure. so many so many movies of me growing up that are like i could watch a thousand times yeah and there's rarely a movie nowadays that i watch where i ever find myself even wanting to watch it again not that it was bad 
It just doesn't have that same replay value. Yeah. But Dumb and Dumber is definitely one that could just be on repeat. Yeah. Um, first word that comes to mind, baseball. I'm, I'm not, I'm, the only thing I'm having trouble with is one word because what comes to mind is the, the greatest game in the, in the world. Okay. So I'll just say greatest. Uh, I like if if you don't want to answer it in one word, no, no problem. No, just first thing that comes to mind. What is what would you say is your guilty pleasure as far as like treat yourself, snack, dessert? Dude, it's it's snacks, but it's ice cream, like a, like a Dairy Queen Blizzard, bro. It's been a while. It's been a while. Like that Blizzard. Yeah. Kryptonite, but it's been a long time. Cause same thing, dude. If I go grab one on the way home tomorrow, I'll be like, man. I'm I want another one. I want another one. Yeah. Which which Blizzard are you getting? I'm a big Reese's peanut butter cup guy. Double Reese's, add whipped cream. Yeah, you got to go double on whatever they're putting in there. And then when you pay for it, though, and you get in there, you're like, did they give me extra? Like, did they give me? There's barely any of it. Yeah. Load it up out there. Have you ever had any of the H-E-B creamy creations? I don't think so. I probably shouldn't know about them. Yeah, probably. All right. It's You're triggering ice, me, bro. It's an ice cream at yeah. H-E-B. You definitely don't want to try if you oh, like never. thick chunks of stuff in your ice cream, so don't try that. Don't try that. That sounds yeah. horrible. Um, speaking. First Speak. on it? Yeah. Speaking? Yeah. Like when you're up talking in front of a lot of people using your story. Encouragement. Love it. Last but definitely not least, God. So I said everything for family. I don't know if you can use the same word, okay. but literally everything like yeah. and i want to expound a little bit please like just literally nothing without it. Like nothing and, and i heard the phrase you never know god's all you need until he's all you had mm-hmm. all you have I've heard that before and I, I didn't really understand it until i got in that situation mm-hmm. and i hit the prison system on lockdown can't leave the bog for nine days no ac it's 150 in the dorm and all i had was my bible that was it and i was like dude i know what that means now it's mm-hmm. all I need. It's literally all I need. And and I want to circle back to that God-shaped hole. When I got locked up, I gave my life to Christ in 98, but when I got locked up in 09 was the first time I surrendered mm-hmm. and truly said, it's all yours. Like, this is where I got myself. It's all yours. And that's when that God-shaped hole was filled. And bro, when I tell you, like, they thought I needed to be in the cycle while I was in prison. I was so happy. I wasn't happy to be in prison. I was, I, I missed my family. I yeah. hated all the stuff I was seeing. But there was a joy and a peace that you couldn't take away from me, even in there. Right. So now you got that, and you get out, and like it's like you can't take that from me. Like whatever situation you put me in, I have peace and joy, and it's one hundred percent God for me. Right. Did you get baptized when you were in prison? I didn't because I already had when I was younger. But I saw some folks do it. Yeah, that's freaking awesome. I got re re baptized, yeah. I guess, in prison. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. No, I never. I didn't, man. I was baptized at um, my church back home at, when I was first saved, and so I just. But it's never, never a bad thing to recommit, man. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of, it was symbolic for me. You know what I mean? I was feeling like it was washing away everything, sure. accepting, accepting that new new thing and devote, devoting your life to it and stuff like that. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, So this is called the I Am Redemption Podcast. Yeah. One of the things I like doing towards the end is, you know, telling your story is a great way for people to, to, to know who you are, but they don't actually get to know you as the person, right? right. And so that I'd asked those questions before, but if you would, and if you could just sum it up in a couple words, I'd ask you if you'd look into the camera and let them know who Brandon Puffer is. All right. So Brandon Puffer, quite simply, is just a sinner saved by grace, just a, a man that is broken and without God, 
has nothing in his life. So I'm just going to, to simplify, just sinner saved by grace, man. Love it. Brother, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to come down here. It's always a pleasure when I talk to you. Absolutely. I know we need to get into the gym soon, yes. sooner rather than later. Yes. We'll, we'll get to it. And, uh, dude, just thank you for coming being vulnerable and sharing your experience and hope. Um, I already know the people that uh, people that are lucky enough to watch this. And it's definitely going to help some people. Thank you, brother. Thank you, brother. I hope someone's encouraged. I thank you for having me. Of course. Is there anything you want to anything you want to plug at the end or social media, website, and book, anything like that? Yeah, Where can they get it? The book, yeah. So the book is um, it's called From the Bullpen to the State Pen, right? Mm -hmm. And it's available on Amazon. So if people want to go check it out, that's awesome. But yeah, anything else is just CoachPuffPositive.com. Okay. That's where my Twitter and my Instagram all that is. But mm -hmm. no, man, I, I, I'm like you. It's a no shameless plugs. Just like let's get in here and encourage people, and the rest takes care of itself. Right. Uh, but I also want to say I love you, bro. And I, I appreciate you too, everything you're doing. I love you too. Thank you, Thank you so much. Appreciate you. Love you, man. Thank you.